Welcome to The Backstory with Dr. Ricky Singh. This podcast is focused on bringing you the latest research-based information about dramatically improving health, well-being, and quality of life. And here's your host, Dr. Ricky Singh. Welcome to The Backstory. You know, today we're going to take a little departure from my normal musculoskeletal, sports and spine kind of talks, uh, diet and nutrition, and talk about something that we don't talk about a lot in physiatry, uh, but certainly very, very important to your overall health and wellness. And just before I get into that, some of the stats, uh, you know, 90% of all eye injuries can be reduced by wearing proper eyewear and using safety practices. And the Vision Council of America estimates that we spend almost $8 billion a year in lost productivity due to eye care issues. So what better way to speak with an expert on how to implement safety protocols both at work and talk about overall eye wellness in our lives. So my guest today is a native from Canada. She received her medical degree and master's degree from McGill University with great distinction and Queen's University in Canada. She is double board certified by both the American Board of Ophthalmology and the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons. She is working here with us at Wall Cornell Medicine in the Department of Ophthalmology and specializes in cataract surgery, laser vision correction, as well as dry eyes and general eye exams. So I'm really, really excited to talk about eye wellness uh, with my guest today, Dr. Ashley Prasett. Ashley, welcome to The Backstory. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of this. As you were mentioning when we first kind of started talking today is how this is such a wonderful way to do education and how many people this podcast reaches. I'm just thrilled to be here. Well, thank you for taking the time. I know you just got back from a really glorious vacation, which we are going to touch on in a little bit. <laughs> but tell me about you. Tell me how you got interested in ophthalmology and your field of interest. What what started all of this? Yeah, it's kind of a circuitous route into how I got into medicine. I actually went to a performing arts high school growing up because I was pretty convinced I wanted to do theater, or acting, music, something like that. Um, but then really found that the sciences, I just had such an interest in it. So when I went to college, I then pursued more science in, in that background. And when I started medicine, I thought emergency medicine sounded really exciting and interesting because everything was so new at that time. And then I had done an elective in ophthalmology and I just saw how grateful the patients were. When you can help somebody improve their vision, there's no better feeling in the entire world. So I was so lucky to apply to ophthalmology and to match into that. And that's kind of how I've ended up where I am now. So after residency training, you specialized in a subspecialty of ophthalmology. Tell me about that, how that piqued your interest and what kind of patients you see currently. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds kind of funny. So I do ophthalmology, so I do eyes, but I really only do the front of the eye. So I do what's called anterior segment. And that might sound crazy to anybody who's listening, but it's such a distinct organ. And there's so much that can go wrong with the eyes and with the vision that we actually separate the eye into different categories of subspecialty. So I mostly do the front of the eye. So what I primarily do is cataract surgery and cataract Cataract is the world's leading cause of blindness, and it's reversible with a surgery. I also do procedures like LASIK to help improve vision, and then also corneal transplants. So if somebody has scarring or an issue with the front part of the eye, I can transplant that tissue to help restore vision. I'm glad you kind of uh, educated me on front of the eye, back of the eye. I had yeah. no idea that was a thing. <laughs> and let's talk about front of the eye. So it's the summer, it's New York, it's hot, it's sunny. You just got back from Greece, which the pictures looked amazing. And, you know, and we spent a lot of time talking about protection from the sun, especially our skin, wear sunscreen, wear a hat, you know, 
be prepared for blocking some of those UV rays. But we don't talk about eye safety when it comes to the sun. So tell me a little bit about the sun, how it affects our eyes, what are some of the conditions that you see, and most importantly, what we can do to prevent this from happening. Yeah, so just like you said, UV rays, just like they can damage the skin, it can also damage the eyes themselves. Um, So what I always recommend to my patients is to be wearing sunglasses, so UV protection. And it doesn't matter if you get the really fancy Christian Dior sunglasses or if you get the ones from your local pharmacy that are quite inexpensive. As long as they say 100% UV blocking on them, that's exactly what you need in the sunglasses because that's going to protect against the harmful UV rays. And that's really important for preventing things like irritation on the surface of the eye, which we call keratitis. It can help to prevent cataract formation and can also help to prevent macular degeneration, which is a disease which can affect the vision as you start to get older. So that's why it's so important to be wearing sunglasses. The other part to that is that the skin around the eyelids is very thin and very sensitive, and you can actually get skin cancers on your eyelids as well and around the eyes. And that's a hard area to apply sunscreen. I don't know if you've ever tried to and happened to get some in your eye. That's probably one of the worst feelings in the world. So telling my patients as well to wear sunglasses is so important because that'll protect that thin eyelid skin around your eyes. They do also make some powdered sunscreens, which can be a good option where you can close your eye and then kind of with the brush apply the powdered sunscreen over the eyelids if you're really sensitive. And wearing a hat as well can also help to protect from the harmful UV rays. Now, it's interesting, you know, I, I have a five-year-old daughter and, you know, we put a lot of sunscreen on her face, her cheeks, her nose, and her forehead. And the moment she goes into the water and comes out, all of the sunscreen runs down into her eyes. And she is very unhappy to the point where we kind of stop putting it on top of her forehead. We do give her a wide brim hat to help with some of the screen, but she doesn't wear sunglasses. You know, to your point, I'm pretty cheap when it comes to sunglasses (laughs) because they break. I lose them. And my wife always wants to buy me expensive sunglasses. And I say, you know, whatever's at the mall or whatever's at Dwayne Reed, I just buy those. How do we know? You, you mentioned something. How do we know that those glasses are sufficient enough? I, I don't need the Maui Gyms or the Oakleys. I just could get anything off the pharmacy. Yeah, you really can. As long as it says 100% UV protection, which it will say either on a tag that's attached to the sunglasses or the sunglasses themselves. And then there's different coatings that you can get on the sunglasses, which might in part make them more expensive, like polarization. Polarization doesn't have any effect for the UV protection. The UV is what's going to cause damage to the eyes. But polarization can be a nice coating that you get over the sunglasses themselves themselves, which can cut down on a lot of glare, especially if you're doing activities on the water, like boating or something, where you're getting some reflection off of the water or for driving against like a hot pavement. So that can help with the quality of the vision in the sunglasses. So you might pay a little bit more for that if that's important to you. But just the 100% UV is what's important for the eye health itself. Talking about some of the conditions you treat, uh, cataracts, macular degeneration, just for our listeners, what what are those things? What is a cataract? What is macular degeneration? Just simply stated. Yeah, absolutely. So macular degeneration is a condition which is in part inherited. So there's a genetic predisposition to it and in part environmental. Um, And so what it is, is it's damage to the macula, which is the central part of your vision in the back of the eye. And that can cause long-term damage to the central part of your vision. And this is often a change that occurs as we get older. It's in part an aging change change and related to genetics, as I said, but some factors can also increase your risk to developing this blinding condition, mainly smoking, poor diet, and UV rays. Um, so that's why it's always important. You know, there's so many reasons not to smoke, and, and I'm sure everybody listening knows why, but your vision is also another important reason to quit smoking. And then also UV protection is important to that as well. In terms of diet, I do get asked that question a lot. What I recommend to my patients is usually the Mediterranean diet. That's what we have the best evidence for. Um, so that's things like fatty fish, 
nuts and oils, um, you know, some healthy carbohydrates, lots of fruits and vegetables as well. Leafy greens, colorful vegetables is usually what I tell my patients. And that's the best thing that you can do to help kind of protect your vision. Cataract, which is more in the front part of the eye, is a cloudiness of the lens, which occurs as we get older. If you live long enough, everybody will get cataracts. Even sometimes people are born with cataracts, which we call congenital cataracts. So sometimes even babies can develop them. Um, But cataract is a very normal aging change to the eye. Sometimes it's brought on sooner by certain medications, by certain medical conditions like diabetes, trauma to the eye. Um, So a number of things can make a cataract grow sooner, but everybody does develop cataract in their lifetime. As I mentioned earlier in our talk, the cataract is actually the world's leading cause of blindness, but it's reversible, which is what's so wonderful about this and about the technology that we have now to help improve people's vision. So it's a very kind of quick, about 30-minute surgery. I remove the cloudy part of the eye, which is called the cataract, and then replace it with a new lens implant, which allows you to see clearly through again. So it's a completely revolutionary surgery. How does someone out there know whether they're developing a cataract or getting some macular degeneration? What does that look like? I guess look is the wrong word, but yeah. <laughs> what does that appear for for the patient? Yeah, yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> so it can be difficult to discern. So that's why it's so important to be seeing your ophthalmologist for regular eye care. I usually recommend to my patients once a year to be going in for a general eye check. And at that visit, your ophthalmologist will check for things like macular degeneration, for cataract, for say glaucoma, which is another condition that can affect the vision, which patients might not know that they have until it's already caused damage. This is why it's so important to have your eyes checked. So if you have any concern about your vision, definitely see your ophthalmologist. And if it's been more than a year, then make an appointment to see them. You mentioned diet, which I love. You know, I think diet can be so impactful for any realm of health, cardiovascular and stress, anxiety, certainly in the spine world. And you mentioned the Mediterranean diet, which we also talked about on this podcast before being very anti-inflammatory and plant forward. What about carrots? You know, growing up, my mom said, eat carrots. They're good for your eyes. I hate carrots. Yeah. Is, is there truth to this? What can I tell my mom based on based on the evidence? Yes, yeah, so it's really the vitamin A and the colorful vegetables is what I try to tell my patients. If you don't love carrots, then sweet potatoes can be a good source of that as well. Um, so I think Michael Pollan has this famous quote, you know, eat not too much and mostly vegetables. And I think that's kind of a good way to think about it. If you can remember to eat your leafy greens and colorful vegetables, you'll be doing your vision an excellent service. I want to shift to something that we've all been affected by, and that's, you know, the COVID pandemic. You know, we're seeing a lot more patients work from home. I'm seeing that in terms of neck pain and back pain. We've switched a lot of our in-person meetings to Zoom meetings. So we're on the computer a lot, looking at the screen. And, you know, I I spoke with a neurosurgeon a few months ago, and we talked about picking up their phone. And the stats say we pick up our phone 160 times a day to scroll or to check email or to text or whatever. And I'm wondering... How much is this affecting our vision? Is, are we really doing damage to ourselves by looking at our devices and being on the computer as much as we are? Yeah, that's such an interesting point because I had such an influx of patients seeking eye care during the pandemic because of the increase of Zoom kind of culture and everything that was going on with needing our computers so much at that time. So definitely computers and screen time can affect the vision. The biggest concern with the vision and with computers is actually dry eye. The reason being is when we're staring at a screen, we tend to blink less, which dries out the eyes. And dry eye leads to irritation, leads to blurry vision, 
tiredness, fatigue, and it can even cause some pain and discomfort for people as well. Um, so that's why it's so important to do what we refer to as the 20-20-20 rule. So when everybody, anybody asks me what they can do for their vision around computers, you can't get rid of your computers, you can't get rid of your smartphone, unfortunately that's our entire world now, but employ what's called the 20-20-20 rule. So every 20 minutes, look 20 feet away um, for 20 seconds. And that gives your eyes a break. It allows your eyes to refocus at distance so that they're not strained so much by focusing at near. And that allows you some time to blink and to readjust the eyes. Another thing that you can try is to use artificial tears. So these are eye drops that can be found over the counter that help to moisturize the surface of the eye. It's similar to when your hands get dry and you put cream on your hands to keep them hydrated. It's the same for the eyes. So if you're on a screen for long hours, keep some artificial tears by your desk and just rehydrate every few hours or so to keep them nice and lubricated. And that'll help to prevent them from getting dried out. And then I do get asked this question a ton about blue light blocking glasses. Um, and it's something that is was really widely advertised during the COVID pandemic. There was a great research study that just came out in the American Journal of Ophthalmology, and they found no difference in using blue light blocking glasses to prevent eye strain. So the evidence really isn't there. Again, the biggest issue why people get strain at the computer is because of dryness. Sometimes the brightness of the screens can also cause some irritation. So I usually say just turn down the brightness if you can, and then maybe get an anti-glare screen cover, and that'll help with kind of preventing any kind of harsh, um, any glare from getting into the eyes. The blue light blocking, again, just don't spend a ton of money if you want to try them and see if it works for you, but the evidence just isn't there. What about having some ambient light while you're looking at your computer screen. You know, I remember growing up, if I would sit too close to the TV or watch TV in the dark, my parents would yell at me and say, don't do that. What's the, what's the truth behind that? Should you have some light on in the background? That's somewhat of a myth. The reason why that can be uncomfortable for the eyes or cause a lot of discomfort is that when you're in a dark room, your pupils dilate, which allows more light into the eyes. So if you're staring at a bright screen and it's dim around you, your pupils are going to be dilated and you're just going to get so much more light exposure, which can be uncomfortable for the eyes. So definitely if you're doing that, we often kind of comment if you're going to be looking at your screen at bedtime, which people shouldn't be doing, but I think, again, we all do it anyways, turn down the brightness of your screen just so there's not so much light getting into the dilated pupils. You know, you mentioned we kind of live in a device-driven society these days. And, you know, my wife and I went back and forth on when we should introduce devices to our kids. So, you know, I have a a five-year-old daughter. She has an iPad. And and we were kind of reluctant initially to introduce it to her. But honestly, it has helped us a lot with traveling on planes and dinners and things like that. What does the science say behind devices and kids? Is there too early to introduce our children to these electronics? Yeah, so the American Pediatric Society states that for kids under the age of two, no screen time is what's recommended. And then after the age of two, only very little screen time from there. Um, So they take a pretty strong stance on it. From an ophthalmology perspective, so from eye development, I agree with that standard. The reason being is that we know that children, when they do a lot of near work, so up close looking, reading for long hours up close, or watching things up close, it actually changes the way that the eye grows and develops. And you can develop what's called myopia or nearsightedness. And that's actually started to become an epidemic in some parts of the world because the children's eyes will continue to grow. They'll continue to become more and more nearsighted as you get older, which can cause change to your vision. So it really does change the way that the eyes develop if you're using too much screen time as a child. The other thing is we know that can impact that is not being outside, playing enough as a kid. Some UV light is good in terms of eye and body and health development. 
but also looking far away is really important for eye development. So kind of looking far away in the distance. So getting kind of a decrease in terms of the screen time and near work for kids and allowing them to play outside is so important. I also recommend that to all my adults. I think we should all be playing outside more, but definitely something we should be doing for our kids too. Are any of these things permanent? You know, as physicians, there was a time where we would see a lot more patients in person, and now we spend a lot more time at the computer documenting, doing telehealth, all stuff that's great for the patients. But if we do this nine to five, year after year, are we doing any permanent damage or are there strategies to prevent this from developing into a permanent issue? Yeah, for adults, it's luckily not a permanent issue. If you're getting a lot of strain or irritation with the computer, often employing some of those tactics and decreasing the screen time can be really beneficial, which is great. So again, we can't really give these devices up, but don't feel like you're doing yourself a disservice. Just be really mindful about how often you're using them. There's a condition that I I read about recently called computer vision syndrome. I found this very interesting and I thought it was kind of right in line with what I'm seeing with headaches and eye pain and upper neck pain. Tell me about computer vision syndrome. What is it and kind of what have you seen in in your practice? Yeah, it's so closely related to what you're seeing because it also has to do with the posture at the screens um, and then the strain that people are developing by staring at the screen for too long. So computer vision syndrome just refers to that, you know, group of symptoms that patients get where they're getting fatigue, strain, blurriness, irritation, along with maybe some of the headache symptoms, which are coming from the posture at the computer screen. So it's everything all related. So this is actually kind of a nice wave where we can talk about total body health and screen effects, not just affecting your eyes, but also affecting your neck and your posture, which can also lead to headache. So for computer vision syndrome, some of those things that we spoke about already, like the 20-20-20 rule can help, the artificial tears to help lubricate, getting an anti-glare screen cover can help as well. One thing that patients don't realize that they should be doing, and I'm going to say this because people sometimes don't believe me, but one thing that people should be doing is actually washing around your eyelids and lashes daily. Just like you brush your teeth every night, you should actually be washing around your eyelids. The reason being is that bacteria can build up on our skin and it especially loves to live on the base of the eyelashes. And living in a city like New York City where there's lots of pollution and debris and pollen in the air as well, that also builds up on the eyes. And that can also lead to eye irritation and strain and cause you to rub your eyes, which in part can cause more irritation. So what I always recommend to my patients as well, especially if you're on a computer for long hours, is at the end of the day when you go home, if you're washing your face, you're brushing your teeth, I actually want you to start to wash your eyelids and lashes as well to get rid of some of that bacteria and dust and debris that is built up over the day. And that's going to really help for the eye comfort as well. You know, you're very involved in research. Uh, You've won many accolades like the Millennial Eye One to Watch. Uh, What are you excited about in the field of ophthalmology? What are some new technologies, new innovations that you're excited to be part of your specialty and you're going to bring to Walt Cornell and to your patients? Yeah, I think something that's so exciting is really the advent of therapies for cataract surgery. As I mentioned, everybody gets cataract in their lifetime and we have an aging population and more and more people seeking care for their vision. And what's so exciting about the newer technologies for cataract surgery is that I can not only improve your vision, but I can make it so that you can decrease your dependence on glasses after cataract surgery. Um, And that can be completely life-changing for some people. And so I just think the increase in the technology that we have available for new lens implants, for laser-assisted forms of cataract surgery, which makes the surgery even more precise, makes healing time faster and safer for patients, is something that's so unique to Cornell and to New York Presbyterian. So I'm so happy to be working here with access to the latest and greatest technology. Another area that you specialize in is uh, laser correction surgery, laser vision correction. And I had LASIK uh, eight, nine years ago. My wife had it almost 15 years ago. And 
knock on wood, my vision's still good. I think I'm 2015. My wife is kind of running into the, I think I need a revision. What have you seen with the, the history of LASIK and where it needs to be corrected in the future? Yeah, so I even had it when I was in medical school. I'm so happy that I had it done. As I mentioned, it can be completely life-changing for people to not have to depend on glasses or contact lenses to see. In fact, I sometimes have women coming in saying, you know, if something happened in the middle of the night and I couldn't see to get out of my house and to find my children, you know, that can be completely devastating for people. So to not have to depend on glasses and contact lenses is, is a real game-changer. Um, so the technology advancements that we have in laser vision correction is it's extremely, extremely safe surgery. Over 99% of people that have it are extremely happy with their outcomes. The need for possible touch-ups in the future often actually just comes from a phenomenon which is known as presbyopia. So around age 40 to 45, our eye's ability to focus up close starts to go. So you'll often see kind of your friends or your parents maybe starting to hold things a little bit further out around that stage. They start to put on their magnifiers or their reading glasses to see up close. And that is just a natural aging change of the eye. Everybody gets presbyopia. So when we correct vision when you're young so that you don't have to have glasses or contact lenses, everybody's going to start to need them for reading around age 40 to 45. So that's a given. So this kind of gets you glasses free for a number of years. That's why I always tell people don't wait until you're in your 40s to do LASIK or to improve your vision. You can do it now. It's extremely safe. Do it when you're young and you'll be so many more years glasses free. You know, I, I'm laughing because I, I remember a story when I was in, in residency. I used to wear glasses in residency and I was walking from the hospital to my car and a big thunderstorm came in and knocked my glasses off my face. And I couldn't see. I yeah. couldn't find my glasses. I couldn't get to my car. I waited out the rain and finally I found my glasses oh in, my the, in, the, in the grass. <laughs> and I said to my wife, I was like, I need LASIK. I can't, I can't mm-hmm. deal with this. And <laughs> knock on wood, I've, it's been eight, nine years. I'm pretty happy with it so far. That's great. Let me ask you a philosophical question. You know, we talk about dental hygiene. I get a text from my dentist three times a year, come in for your cleaning. They want to see me. They say floss every day. They say clean your mouth. And, you know, there's so much pressure on keeping your mouth healthy. Yet I don't see that we as a society really put that much emphasis on our eye care. I'll be honest. I'll be the first to admit I haven't seen an eye doctor in five, six years. (laughs) So uh, you're listening to it first. Listeners, I'm guilty. So I'm going to make that appointment with Dr. Brissett right after we're done. But how do we change that? How do we educate the patients? These are your eyes. I mean, this is our vision. We need to see. Yeah, we go to the dentist two, three times a year. We don't see our eye physician as much as we should. I agree. I think that's, I think it's two part. I think one, patients are sometimes nervous around their eyes. You know, what's going to happen when I go to the eye doctor? I don't want my eyes to be poked and prodded. I'm somewhat nervous about having that done. Um, and just to quell anyone's fears, it's such a thorough exam. But, you know, we have the most, the, the most kind and, uh, and patient-friendly technicians and nurses that work with us. All of our doctors are wonderful here at Cornell. So you'll be treated very kindly. And often if you come in and say, I'm quite nervous to have this exam, people know that we we understand when it comes to your eyes and your vision, we'll be very kind and kind of caring around what's going to make you feel comfortable, but also be able to get the examination done. And there's certain parts of the exam now where we don't even have to really touch the eyes. We can do photography for the eyes. We can do more non-invasive imaging. So if anybody's nervous about coming in, you shouldn't feel nervous. I think the other part is really just education. I think you're right. It's one of our most, if not the most important 
important sense. And so being really proactive to take care of it is so important. And even just staying on top of things like basic hygiene around our eyes. I mean, people knowing to now wash and cleanse around your eyes and eyelids every day, knowing to use moisturizing drops to keep them hydrated, knowing to protect them with screen time. All of that education just needs to get out there. So again, so happy to be here in this podcast to spread that message. You know, it's, I'm thinking of a, an episode from Friends. I don't know if there's any Friends listeners out there. Uh, where one of the characters, Rachel, goes to an eye doctor and she was really afraid of this glaucoma puff test. Yes. And every time they would say one, two, three puff, she would back up or try to run out of the room. So Yes, we have better ways of doing that now. So don't be afraid that you'll get the puff test. There you go. No more puff testing here at Wall Cornell, New York Presbyterian. <laughs> so please get your eyes checked out. So Dr. Brissett, this is really educational. I learned a lot today. You know, just to sum up some of the tips that you mentioned and the one that's really hitting home for me is the 202020. Say that again, just mention what that is and how our listeners can kind of change their behavior around computers. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are on screens for long hours, which I think all of us are nowadays, make sure you're doing what's called the 20-20-20 rule. So every 20 minutes, look 20 feet away for 20 seconds. And that's going to relax your eyes, going to give you some time to blink, refocus, and then you can go back to the screen time. Certainly appreciate it, Ashley. Really, really good talk to all the listeners out there being actively involved in your eye health, you know, working with your optometrist, your ophthalmologist, uh, certainly increases your chance of maintaining good eye health and eyesight throughout your life, which is like we talked about, one of the very, very most important senses that we have. So thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to come chat with us. I am going to make an appointment to see you to get my eye health examined and make sure I'm doing okay. Uh, And thank you out there to the listeners to tuning into the backstory. And remember, when it comes to your health, we've got your back. Thank you, Dr. Brissett. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Backstory. Please subscribe, rate the podcast, and review The Backstory on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play Music. And feel free to share this podcast on social media or even your own website or blog. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice. To learn more about Dr. Singh and his clinical research, please follow him on social media. You can also sign up for his newsletter by going to www.rickysinghmd.com. That's R-I-C-K-Y-S-I-N-G-H-M-D.com. Come.